going to start off in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Um, we've been in the book of Ephesians with Pastor Lonnie, um, for those of you that have just joined us tonight. Um, Wednesday night's kind of like our Bible, Bible class night, and uh, we're just going through the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, amen? The best way to grow. Yes, sir. If anybody needed prayer, why don't we do, we'll have a little prayer session after, after the study tonight, okay? Praise God. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, verse 7. Say amen if you're there. Ephesians 4, verse 7. It says now, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. All right? That word gift there is charis. All right? And we were talking a little bit about the gifts last week with Pastor. And so I want to talk about the gift of Christ that's in us tonight. All right? And we're going to start off, so keep your finger there in Ephesians because we'll be coming back to that. But I want to start off in Corinthians chapter 12 of the first letter. First Corinthians. And if you're in Ephesians, you go left, not right, like I was doing. And we're going to go... And we're going to start at verse 4. Now I'm reading out of the King James Version tonight. And you might have heard me say this before, but basically, if you go, how, if you go to a Bible bookstore today and you go out to the Bible section, you're probably going to see about a thousand different Bibles and different translations. Um, let me make it very clear in a nutshell tonight that... The English Bibles that we have today, they are translations. That's what they are. They're translations from not the original manuscripts, not the original piece of uh, parchment or vellum that Paul the Apostle wrote on, but they're from copies. Okay? And men have taken the something like, I think we're up to like 40,000 different manuscripts or copies of the, of the Scriptures in the New Testament. And they have provided a complete Greek text. And from that text, translations are made. And that's how we get our various different Bibles because they're various translations. Now, Erasmus in 1500s, he compiled all the manuscripts that he had available to him and he made what was called the Textus Receptus, or the Received Text. And that's what the King James guys mostly worked off of. Yeah. They took some of the other Bibles that were popular in the day. How many have ever heard of the Geneva Bible? It's what they came. If you go over into uh, the House of Congress, and you look at the, those massive murals that they have in the rotunda, there's a picture of the pilgrims landing in the United States of America, and that picture has painted in there 
when they're on their knees praying, a Bible. And that Bible there is the Geneva Bible. It was a popular Bible um, in the early days. But King James I, he wanted to make an authorized text where everybody was reading off the same page, basically. All right? And so he commissioned these guys to take the works of Tyndale and Whitecliffe and all these different guys that had given their lives for the Word of God to be translated in English. You know, Tyndale, he said to the bishop who was telling him that he wasn't allowed to translate the Bible from Latin at that time into English, he said, listen, the boy behind the plow will know the Scriptures more than you, even if it cost me my life. And he was kind of, he knew something. He probably knew the danger. So these guys, they gave their lives. What's that? Where'd that come from? That's me. Oh, is that you? Okay. All right. You were you keeping up with me? That's great, brother. I like that. See, that's, that's cool, man. Thank you. Can you see that? Am I in your guys' way? I'll come over a little bit. So he said... These guys must have the Word of God in English. And the reason why there was such a move for this is because at the time, there was basically two leaders. There was the, the church leader and the king. And these guys, if they were subject to nobody. And it was in their heart that if these guys were an heir, then the people were going to be an heir. But then the Reformation, Luther had a revelation that we are going to be personally held accountable to the Word of God. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be, be able to say, my pastor didn't tell me. We're not going to be to have an excuse. We're accountable for the Word of God. And that shook the early church because they were like, well, if... If the, if the boy on the plow is going to be judged by God's word, then the boy on the plow must be able to read God's word and submit himself to it. And so that's why there was this movement and this explosion. And the Reformation was not just people arguing over differences of belief, but it was an explosion of God's word. A bit like that time in the Old Testament when they found the word of God laying behind in the temple and they brought the word of God and they blew the dust off of it and they begin to just read the word of God and the fire of God fell amen. people were giving their hearts to the yeah. Lord because they were hearing the words of God amen and so the the whole idea of of this Bible that I hold in my hands is the king he needed to get everybody on the same page and one of the things that I see in modern church today is with all the various translations that we have, it's very hard as a group to study the Bible together. Now, Paul told Timothy in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, he said, what? Study to show thyself approved of God, right? A workman who should not be ashamed or feel ashamed. That's my little paraphrase on it. In other words, studying the Scriptures... We're commanded, the believer. He told the believer, study God's word. The second thing he said was, rightly divide the word. Okay? Now, 
Rightly dividing the word is, is, is taking the word of God and sectioning it out and figuring out where belongs where and who belongs to who and what belongs to what. That's rightly dividing. Now I have found you are going to struggle to rightly divide the word of God with what I call a paraphrase like the Message Bible. There's a few more out there where they got the full compass Bible or something like that out now. Even the, uh, the, one, the one man Bible. Great Bibles, paraphrases. Back in the 70s in the Jesus movement, Jan Crouch loved the Living Bible. She used to read out of that thing all the time. That's a paraphrase. Moffat translation, paraphrase. Amen. Darby translation, right. paraphrase. Okay? In Amen. other words, they're not literal translations from the Greek text. They're a man's putting it into his own words. Kind of like what I do when I'm reading the verse and I say, it's kind of saying this. I'm paraphrasing or putting it into my own language what I believe the Scriptures are saying there. Now we also have in our, in our church, we have what's called a thought-for-thought thought translation where the scholars have taken the text and they thought, well, the word, the English word is this, but it's not really lining up with what we feel they were actually trying to communicate or the message or the thought that they were trying to communicate. That's called a thought-for-thought thought translation. New Living Translation, Newer International Version, those are a thought-for-thought thought translation. The next one, the word-for-word, word, is where they take the Greek word and they say, this is the exact English word that we're going to use for that Greek word. And they're pretty much consistent with that English word through the entire Bible. All right? Now, there's only two probably out there that you can do this with, and that would be the King James Version and the New American Standard Bible. Those are probably your best word-for-word -word translations yeah, out there, okay? Yeah. Now, I choose to use the King James because I'm partial to the men that burned on a stake for the Bible that I have in my hand. It's not that I think it's, you know, I'm not going to get in an argument or a debate about if one is better than the other, but I feel like I want to honor the men of God that gave their life for the Bible that I hold in my hand tonight. That's why I choose to read out of this one. So we're going to rightly divide the Word of God tonight, and I just want you to know that because if you see me kind of categorize the text in a certain way or divide it, I'm doing it from the King James. Yours may not do that, but just follow along with me if you can. Where are you at? I'm still in Corinthians. That was a long introduction, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now, here we go. Now, it says in verse 4 of Corinthians chapter 12 it says now the diversities of now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit Amen. and there are differences of administration but the same Lord and there are diversities of operation but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Or that everybody would profit. Amen? Now I'm just going to kind of hijack your uh, monitor there for a minute. Uh, 
Brother Rick, why I put this on the board here. And um, I want to show you this. And so, we're playing that. And we're doing this. And we're going to here. Alright, can you guys all see that pretty clear? Okay, so here we go then. So Paul in Corinthians, he says, Now there are diversities or there are different gifts, but the what? There are also different administrations, but what? Same Lord. And there are different operations, but the same God. So the charis or the gifts, and earlier in the text he said spiritual gifts or the he said he uses one word. Where does it say? Uh, now concerning verse one of chapter twelve. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, the translators put gifts in italics, and you see that in the new in the King James when they italicize a word, it means they put that in there to let the English flow grammat you know grammatically better. Is that a word grammatically? No. Um, so for so so the word there gifts is not actually in the original. It says now concerning spirituals, and what he's saying now concerning spirituals. This is twelve verse one. I would not have you ignorant. Now it's funny. There's a few things that Paul tells the church that he doesn't want them ignorant in. One of them is spirituals. Second is the rapture. Third is Israel's place in history. He uses the word, I would not have you ignorant. And I find it amazing that those are the very three things that the church usually has messed up through history. Amen. The rapture, right. Israel, and, and spiritual gifts or how we relate to one another. So the word spiritual there means it's pneumatica or I, I would not have you ignorant how the Holy Ghost moves in a church service. Alright? That's kind of the... Jeremy Moore paraphrase. I would not have you ignorant the way the Holy Ghost flows and moves in a church service. Because there are many gifts. There are many administrations and there are many operations. So the word um, operations there, we see gifts, administrations, and operations. So we'll, I've divided up you can see how the Holy Ghost has categorized these into three categories. Can you see that? So, we're going to start with Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. Alright? And we know these, the nine gifts, don't we? Everybody, how many here has been through a teaching um, about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And if you haven't, if you don't like my teaching... There's, a, there's some good ones out there. I remember listening to a man from England called Derek Prince. He was an incredible teacher when it came to this stuff. But um, let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit real quick. All right, so nine gifts divided into three groups of three. Um, this is not in the Bible, but this is just a clever way of, of learning them. We have gifts that can be divided into revelation, power, and vocal or utterance. Alright? Re Revelation gifts would be the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, a discerning of spirits. These gifts in the church are gifts that reveal something. Alright? Now, power gifts are faith, healing, and miracles. These are gifts that do something in the 
church. And then we have utterance or vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. These are gifts that say something in the church, all right? So word of wisdom is a supernatural knowledge applied in a godly or correct way. Um, one commentary describes it as the insight into doctrinal truth. Now, Pastor really did a, a good job talking about this last week. You know, the word of wisdom is a directive word. Um, you know, knowledge is information. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Knowledge applied. So I find that the word of wisdom is usually directive. An example of this would be when they were having a problem in the early church about the ladies um, not getting their share um, at, the, at the benefits table. And um, they said, hey, man, you know, the Greek women are getting cut out of, of, of the rightful benefits, and they're serving the Jewish ladies more. There's some discrimination going on. So the, the, the apostles, they had a, a word of wisdom, and it was a word of wisdom because there was a problem, and there was an application because what did he say? Did Peter say, well, you know what, boys? Put the Bibles down. Let's come out of the prayer room. Let's go to the kitchen and start serving these people. And well, let's take care of it. No, he said, it's not right that we put down the Word of God and, and prayer to go serve the tables, but we will appoint good men, good people to make sure that we're going to take care of this. So there was a problem. God gave him a word of wisdom, and boom, it was taken care of. So it was directive. This is what we need to do. So I always find a word of wisdom solves a problem. Amen? Now, a word of knowledge could reveal a problem. A word of knowledge is a supernatural knowledge of facts and information that can be revealed by God for a purpose of applying truth or doctrinal truth. So one is directive, one is informative. Peter, when he was dealing with uh, the, the church, uh, Simon the sorcerer came, and he wanted to purchase the power that when they laid hands on people, they'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he thought he could buy the gift of God. Well, he was jealous because everybody was following Peter now instead of him. And so Peter said, I perceive that in you, you have a root of bitterness. So he had a word of knowledge that what was going on in this man's life. Now, let me tell you something. There's a, there's a, there's a great saying what God reveals, He heals. Amen. 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 And we can't just get the word of knowledge over someone's life and go running around calling people out. That's not what it's for. That is not how the gifts work. Amen. Amen. And so you got to understand that sometimes, man, God will give you a word of knowledge and He just wants you to be interceding. He may just want you to know. And just because He wants you to know doesn't mean He needs other people to know. Because if He wanted them to know, He'd give them the word of knowledge too. Amen? Because we saw last week that the word of knowledge is there's not just certain people walking around and, oh man, we need a word of knowledge. Well, let's call Betty on the phone. She's the only one that knows how to get a word of knowledge around here. No. Paul tells us in the end of the book, receive letter, desire the best gift. What's the best gift? The gift that's needed at the time. Alright, so... Discerning of spirits. I'm talking fast because I'm aware of the time. Discerning of spirits. This is a supernatural ability to distinguish between spirits such as good and evil, truthful or deceiving, 
prophetic versus satanic. Amen? And that's what the discerning of spirits does. And we need the discerning of spirits. And, you know, there are some of you probably have that gift in this room tonight. So those are revelation gifts. So now let's talk about, um, what's the next one here? What do we got now? Power gifts. Faith. Now the Bible says that to every man and woman, God has given a measure of what? Faith. But the measure of faith that God has given to each and every one of us is a faith to receive, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. All right? Now, this kind of faith is not the faith that is measured to every believer, nor is it saving faith. This is a special supernatural faith given by the Spirit to receive miracles or to believe God for miracles. It's the kind of faith that Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, what? Be ye removed and cast into the sea. And this kind of faith will make that mountain go into the sea. Amen? Sometimes I wonder when Jesus was talking like that, which mountain he was actually looking at. Because I got a hunch that when Jesus comes back to planet Earth and puts his toe on the Mount of Olives and does a complete topography change and splits that thing wide open, I just wonder if that mountain is going to end up in the sea that he was talking to. It's just kind of a hunch I have. Now, it's the kind of faith that where he says, um, where Peter walked to the to the temple and he said silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I to thee that wasn't saving faith he was giving to them him he was giving him healing stand to your feet and walk amen and this faith it just comes you can feel it when it comes all right and so that's what that is and then we've got a healing we know a lot of that supernatural healing beyond natural means given by the spirit miracles um, this is the supernatural suspension of natural laws or an invention by the Holy Spirit into the laws of nature. Now, you know, the thing about faith healing and, um, and miracles, I find that a lot of times when this is happening, it's very natural. You know, God, you might have heard the phrase, God is supernatural naturally. Yes. He's naturally supernatural. You know, one time we had this epidemic. I guess that's what you could call it. Maybe that's not the right word. But uh, we were in Bradford, and we were watching those videos out of Argentina. Just one night, we just all had popcorn and stuff, and we were fellow had a fellowship night. And all of a sudden, we had this girl named Carol Small, and she called she called us up, and she said, she said, I have got gold fillings. She says, and I have not had gold fillings. My fillings were black or lead or whatever it is. Not lead, but what are those things they put in them? And she said, my fillings have turned to gold. And we're like, what? So we go over there, and I'm telling you, man, sure enough, she had gold in her teeth. And um, it was, uh, and as I was standing there, you could watch. One, like a vein would come down and like a vein of gold would just fill her mouth up with gold. And you're like, well, you know, why in the world? What's that got to do with God or the church or salvation or people? And you know something? What did water into wine have to do with anything? The Bible says that when Jesus turned water into wine, he did it to show his glory. 
He had no purpose. No one got saved from him turning water into wine. He just revealed, I'm God. And you know, I just kind of felt like when Carol was getting him gold teeth, I just kind of felt like God was saying, I'm God and here I am. I'm showing up. And it was just a very, and it was a very natural thing. It was so natural that as people would kept coming into her house, they would look and then they'd look in the mirror and they were getting gold. And then we weren't all, in the name of Jesus, we just prophesied gold teeth over this mouth right now, God, and shoot up. I mean, we weren't that trying to work it up. It was just they'd come and they'd see it like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you, oh my gosh, you got it, you got it, you got it. It was just happening, happening, happening. And it was so natural. And I feel that these power gifts work like that. They're not really something that we have to you know, sweat it out and grit and bear and grit it. You know what I mean? It's a supernatural thing that comes from the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Now, utterance gifts. Now, this is foretelling of the inspired Word of God, primary to the church, for the purpose of confirming the written Word and building up the entire body. Um, it's edification, exhortation, consolation, although it can declare God's will in a particular circumstance, but in rare cases predict future events. All right, so this is the gift of prophecy. It drops on people. Now, there's prophecy that tells the future, and there's prophecy that exhorts. There's prophecy that tells the past. The past, present, and future, you can prophesy. I find that kind of like what God reveals, He heals. God does not really, in most circumstances in my life, has never prophesied direction. He has confirmed what God has already spoken. You know, I mean, it's very rare. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's very rare that somebody will say, the Lord is just telling me, brother, that, man, you need to pack your bags and move to the Congo. You know, that's very rare that that happens. You better make sure that God has maybe put something on your heart about the Congo first. Amen. You know, because I find that that's usually where he'll direct. And, and you'll, you'll hear this in charismatic circles called directive prophecy. Some, some pastors are very scared of directive prophecy because, you know, you can, you can mess people's lives up. So I really feel like prophecy, if it's, you know, foretelling of events, first of all, God has commanded each and every believer to try the spirits, test the spirits, right? And how do you test the spirits? Well, does the Holy Ghost in you bear witness with it? If you get in a check, then, you know, you need to kind of, you know, hey, brother, well, you know, thank you, thank you. Go find the donut table. So anyway... So prophecy, speaking in tongues, um, you know, we have a lot of these that, act, that are active at our church. You know, we have people that when the, the Lord is moving, that, you know, they feel like they want to encourage the body. They want to exhort the body. That would be a, um, an exhortation. Um, speaking in tongues, this is supernatural utterance in an unlearned language or interpreted so the entire body will be edified. Tongues may also be signed to unbelievers and learn about speaking in tongues. So there's two types of tongues in the in the body of Christ. There are these type of tongues that could be, um, you know, a tongue, somebody speaking in tongues and somebody from a foreign country hears their language speaking to them as a sign and a wonder. And maybe as, you know, like that happened on the day of Pentecost. And it happened in our church. A girl from Sri Lanka, um, our pastor was speaking in tongues. And she was 
he was he was saying words that were in the Sri Lankan language, and she was blown away. I mean, she was completely flabbergasted. I mean, she stayed in the church forever. It just really touched her. Um, but then there's also a tongue that Paul says, edify yourself. Amen. And a lot of times when you hear tongues, you know, people get religious on this and they'll say, we don't want to speak it in tongues because, you know, if somebody comes in and, and they can't understand it, it's confusion. Well, no, it's not confusion. There may be a tongue that's going off that is in another language that someone can understand. But a lot of times when we're singing in the spirit like we did here tonight, like we do on Sundays, we're edifying ourselves. Amen. We're building ourselves Amen. up. We're building ourselves up in the Holy Ghost Amen. to stir up Amen. the gifts of God that are within us. Amen. Amen. I, you know, this one guy one time he started um, he started singing in the spirit, right. and um, and somebody thought that they had to have an interpretation. Well, he he sung in the spirit, and then. And he was, he was speaking in tongues, and he was speaking in tongues for like five minutes. And then he shifted into tongues, and then he prophesied. And the prophecy was like 30 seconds, but the tongues were like five minutes. And you're scratching your head, and you're thinking, man, that was a five-minute tongue with a 30-second interpretation. Surely that was what was happening there. And our pastor, he was really wise, he said, the first part of that tongue was you edifying yourself... Building yourself up, right, mm -hmm. to exercise the gift. Then you went into tongues that needed interpretation, and then you gave the interpretation. All right? So, and, that, and that's exactly what happened there. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes total sense, doesn't it? All right, so that's it. So that's the, that's the vocal gifts. I've seen a few hands raised. I know we wanna, we're going to have discussion and comment time afterwards, so just write it down. Don't, don't forget to ask, but make sure you write it down. I'm just trying to whip through this really fast tonight, okay? I hope you're getting something out of this. All right, so, that's, so that is all of our um, gifts of the Spirit that we saw, all right? So we got all of the, uh, the gifts, but from the same Spirit. These are gifts of the Holy Ghost, all right? Now, look at, let's go over Romans chapter 12, verse 6 real quick. Romans chapter 12, and we're at verse 6. Now remember, Corinthians talked about there are different or diversities of operations. All right, That's what we're dealing with here, operations. Romans 12, verse 6. Um, let's start at... Uh, Verse 4. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. Romans 12, verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. All right? So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We discussed that really good last week. Now, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one are members one of another. All right, that's very key here. He keeps saying it. We've got to understand that we are members of each other. Amen? I come to church not for me. I come to church for you. And you should come to church for me. Praise God. Now, he says in verse 6, Having then gifts 
differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to that proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhorting, and he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. And he that rules or leads, do it with diligence. And he that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness or loving kindness. Alright? So, we've got our... We like to call these, and you've probably heard this statement before, we call them the motivational gifts. Alright? So, in our motivational gifts, in Romans 12, we've got prophecy. Now, I like to think of the these gifts different from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's pretty interesting how Paul and Corinthians divided these up into three. And one he used same Spirit, same Lord, same God. It's almost like he's painting a picture of the Trinity there when he says that. And I think these gifts are kind of our our personality or our traits of the kind of person that we are. Okay, these are not... Prophecy here is not the gift of prophecy from the Holy Ghost that we saw in Corinthians. It's more like... Um, it's, it's like an attitude of the believer. See if this bears witness with yourself or somebody that you know in church. Believers with the motivational gift of prophecy, they're seers. Or their eyes of the body. They have insight, foresight. They kind of act like the watchdogs in the church. They warn of sin or reveal it. They are usually very verbal and may come across kind of judgmental or impersonal. But they are serious, dedicated, and loyal to truth. Even over friendships. Alright? So you may know somebody like this. You may be somebody like this. But do we cut this person off? I find this person actually rubs people the wrong way. A lot of times a person like this, you may think, my God, they're hindering church growth, man. You know? But we need them. We need this type of motivational gift or this operation in the church. All right, here's one. Ministering or serving or helps. Those with this gift of serving are the hands of the body. They're concerned with meeting needs. They're highly motivated. They're the doers of the church. Anybody know somebody like this? They may tend to overcommit, overextend, but they find joy in serving and meeting short-term goals. They're the kind of people that just show up, man. You know? Church needs people like this. And if you see people that aren't like this, you can't really, as a minister or a server, you can't be slapping the body around because no one else is serving. Because that's who God made you to be. And you just need to do what God's called you to do and quit trying to try to make everybody be like you. Amen? That's just the way it is. doesn't mean we can't all... Stack tables and put chairs away after church banquets. Now, teaching. Those with this motivational gift of teaching are the mind of the body. They realize that their gift is foundational. 
They emphasize the accuracy of words. They love to study. And they delight in research and validating truth. All right? That's the teaching motivation. All right? You know, the... Uh, you know, I saw one illustration that I read about this is, is um, you know, somebody comes through with a tray full of water and they go through the butler doors and get hit in the face and the water tray goes all over the place and Mercy's coming. Oh, are you okay, honey? You okay? Let me... And the helps is coming. Hey, let me help you clean that up. And here comes the teaching guy. He's like, well, you know, you know why that happened, don't you? You see, you were like too close to the door when it swung forward and you should have held your tray like this. You see? So that's the teacher. Then you've got the giving. It says those with the motivational gift of giving are the arms of the body. They truly enjoy reaching out and giving. They're excited by the prospect of blessing others. They desire to give quietly, perhaps in secret, but they will also motivate others to give. In other words, this is a spontaneous thing. We see this sometimes. It's like a chain reaction. They are alert to people's needs. They give cheerfully, and they always give the best that they can. Amen? That's the giving um, operation. Now, we also have what's called the encouragement or the exhortation. Those with the motivational gift of encouragement are the mouth of the body. Like cheerleaders, they encourage other believers and are motivated by a desire to see people grow and mature in the Lord. They're practical, they're positive, and they always seek positive responses. Amen? Amen. I know a couple people like that in my life. All right, here we go. Leadership or administration. Those with this gift of leadership, they're the head of the body. They have this ability to see the overall picture, set long-term goals. They're good organizers, and they find efficient ways of getting work done. <coughs> Although they may not seek leadership, they will assume it if there's no one available. They receive fulfillment when others come together to complete a task. All right? Then we have a mercy operation. Those with the motivational gift of mercy, they're the heart of the body. They easily sense the joy or distress in a person. They're sensitive to feelings and needs. They're attracted to and patient with people in need. Motivated by a desire to see people healed of hurts. They are truly meek in nature, and they avoid firmness, unlike the prophecy guy or perhaps the teacher. Now, here's an interesting way to picture these gifts. Christians with the motivational gifts, prophecies, we saw this already, prophecy are the eyes of the body, service are the hands of the body, teaching are the mind of the body, giving are the arms of the body, exhortation are the mouth of the body, and administration are the head of the body, and mercy are the heart of the body. Now, I don't know about you, but a body cannot function with all of these things. We can't tell the heart we don't need you. We can't cut off the mind or the eyes. We need each other, and we need to understand what motivates people the way they interact with each other and not judge them, not try to... Um, you know, make them be like you or and, and not be envious if you're not like this. And, and, and ask the Lord to reveal. I mean, I really feel even as I was reading this tonight, you know, the Lord was probably helping people to understand who maybe they, how they operate and maybe how others operate. Amen. So so that would be 
when he says there are different operations but the same God, okay, you've got to understand that there may, be a, there may be a teaching operation here that's ministering in the Holy Spirit's gift of healing. All right? Now, we always try to connect mercy to healing, a mercy operation to a gift of healing. That may be so, but that's not necessarily always going to be that way. You, you understand? And we'll see more about that here in a minute. Now, let's go back to this next one. Now, there are different administrations or ministry, but the same Lord. So back over to our original text, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Praise God. I hope you're getting something out of this. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Say amen if you're there. Have a sip of water if you have one. Thanks for laughing. All right, so Ephesians 4.11, talking about ministry gifts here. Now, if we, if we study out verse 7 through 11, we'll see that the subject matter here, or the person, the gift giver, is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? And the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 11 that He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, okay? So, who gave these gifts to the church? Jesus gave them. Let's just, I mean, you're right. Jesus is God. That's one way of saying But if we're just going to clearly stick to what the text is saying, the text says that Christ gave gifts to the church. Alright? In verse 12 it says... We know who gave them. Why did he give them? For the perfecting of the saints or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? So we're, we're, we're the body. God gives these gifts for those three things. For growing saints in maturity, for for equipping them for the ministry, training, teaching, all that kind of stuff, and for edifying the body of Christ. Or in other words, making you have an understanding or making you feel like you've got a part, man. Realizing what your potential is. Realizing what your, your operations and your gifts and your different ministries are in the church. Realizing why you're here. It's up to these fivefold to do that with the body of Christ. Amen? Now, most of you know what these, these five-fold are, but just a quick summary here. Um, real fast. Ministry gifts out of Ephesians 4.11. I like to think of, you might have heard this illustration, but you take your palm, and you've got the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. What's the next one? The the uh Pastor and the teacher. Alright? Now the cool thing about the apostle is the apostle can have access to each one. And they need to. An apostle usually will flow in and out. Maybe not all. Maybe all. Maybe just one. 
There's no formula for this. The God does it how he sees fit. But an apostle will usually be able to touch one of the other ministry gifts in their life, okay? And the reason why they need to do that is because they establish and build the church. I guess you could call them church planters. An apostle may function in many or all of the ministry gifts. He is the thumb. It's the strongest of all fingers. It's able to touch every finger, all right? So that's what the apostle does. He's the establisher. I like to think of the, an apostle, the gift of apostle, sees the bigger picture. We have apostolic authority over our church. There are men that we're accountable that see a bigger picture than just Christian life-centered. They see why we function in Claremont County, the larger picture of why we're here. They have that apostolic insight over us. All right, we've got the prophet. In Greek, it means to foretell. He's the pointer, amen? The prophet points. But you always heard the illustration. Beware, prophet, because when you point at others, you got three pointing right back at you, amen? All right, the prophet points, but you got three fingers back at you. Foretell, the sense of speaking for another. A prophet functions at God's mouthpiece, speaking forth God's word. The prophet is the index finger, pointer finger. He points to the future. He also can point out sin. I think we need more of this now in the church. You know, we need people to be able to flow in calling out sin. You know, one of the great revivals we had, I think, um, oh, the brother that's with the Lord now down in Brownsville, um, what was his name? Steve Hill. Steve Hill. Steve Hill had a real prophetic gift to do this. And when he spoke it, he didn't speak it to shame. He spoke it to reveal and break and bring a cleansing. And it was an incredible, incredible revival. I think great revival happens when the prophet does reveal sin in our hearts. He does call it out. He does cause people to recognize what's in them. You know, I believe Finney and some of the others in the Great Awakenings were exercising this. And, and, and that's what brought the fire of God to our nation. All right, we also have the evangelist. An evangelist is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He works for the church to bring people into the body of Christ where they can be discipled. He can evangelize through music, through drama, through preaching, and also other creative ways. He is the middle finger. It is the tallest one who stands out in the crowd. An evangelist is, a, I like to say the evangelist is a great networker. You know, you ever hear anybody say, oh man, the churches just need to work together. Chances are he's got the evangelistic anointing on his life. You know, they want to see the church be together because they know that the disciple can only grow in the church. All right? He's the middle finger. He always stands out. You know that person in your life's always sticking out? You know? And, uh, he, and it's always the one that goes the furthest. It's the furthest one. That finger goes, goes out the furthest. I find evangelists have a lot of courage, a lot of boldness to go boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> some Star Trek music here. The tallest one, they stand out in a crowd. Evangelists draw a lot of attention, but they are called to serve the local body, and that is the key. No spiritual cowboys. That's what we used to call those people that would come around your house in England and they act like they knew what they were doing. And they didn't know what they were doing. Before you knew it, you ended up with a mess on your hands. They called them cowboys. 
They, they acted like they were experts, but they weren't. A lot of spiritual cowboys in the body of Christ now. You got a lot of people that call themselves advanced, but they don't want to plug in to a local body somewhere. Be submitted and committed to a church. They just want to put the title on, but they don't want to be under anybody. Just want to, just want to go do their own thing. Got to stay away from people like that. Or exhort them to get under some apostolic authority. Now, pastors. Pastor is the shepherd of the people. We saw that uh, the other the other week. Uh, poimen is the Greek word there. It means um, it means to shepherd or lead to pasture. You don't want to bring the sheep to a dry, muddy patch. Good grass in that field over there. A true shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus talked about two types of people that deal with the church. There's hirelings and there's shepherds. What's the difference? Hirelings in it for what? Money. Money. Filthy lucre like we talked about in Titus. You know, when the, when the money runs out, you'll usually find that the hireling is already on the train. The hireling, when he sees the wolf, he doesn't get in front of the wolf and the sheep like David did. He takes off running. He's looking for the highest tree. He doesn't care if the sheep die. He doesn't care if people teach false doctrine. As long as he gets kitten, you know, building up that pocket. You know, there's a big difference between the hireling and the shepherd. Now, the hireling will not lay his life down for the sheep. But the pastor, that's, his, that's what he does. The pastor is the ring finger. He's married to the church, man. I love that. Married to the church, called to stay, oversee, nurture, and guide. Pastors always wants to make sure that there is a place to grow. Amen? A place to eat. The teacher, the teacher and the pastor are often share the same office, but not always. The teacher lays a foundation and is concerned with detail and accuracy. They delight in research. Like I said before, validating a truth. The teacher is the pinky finger. Though seemingly small and insignificant, it is designated specifically to getting in and digging in, getting them in small places. Now, this unfortunately speaks of an illustration of somebody that's wanting to pick their nose is what stands out to me, but I know I, I, I mean something entirely different here, if that's the picture that you've got. But if you think about it, if you're trying to get into a small place, you're trying to get something out of a crack, you know, you're usually reaching for the, for the smallest finger to get into the small places. And, um, and that's kind of what it reminds me of. And I just couldn't think of anything the pinky wasn't, didn't sound as cool as the evangelist. But it's just in there. It's small. It's insignificant. What is it used for? Um, digging in the tight, dark places, shining a light, and picking apart the word of truth. And that's what I find about teachers, man. They love to get in the Word, and they, and they love to just, just pick it apart. Amen? So those are our ministry gifts given to the church by Jesus to do those things that we talked about, the three things. Um, mature, edify, and train or build up for the work of the ministry. Okay, so, so here, back to our slide now. So we got all these different things here, all right? We got 21 different deals going on here. 21 different gifts. Now, I did some math and 
if you have a form of 21 and we choose three, the combinations that you could get is 9,261 different types of people. If that's if you were just saying everybody in the room has three of these, pick any three. The combination is 9,261. That's a lot of that's a lot of combos. You know what I'm saying? So the it's it's quite huge in thinking about it. And that's why we have to expand our mind of what the Holy Ghost can is and wants to do um, when he's using these gifts. And it's particularly why he said here in this next verse um, at the top here in Corinthians 12.28. At the bottom of the chapter there, it says, God set forth some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversity of tongues, and so forth. So what Paul was doing here in this verse is first of all, he was saying in a nutshell, look, I mean, I, we did the math. We can see that through all these different categories that he broke down in the beginning of the chapter, we have over 9,000 possibilities here. So we got to bring some order into this thing. We've got to set some guidelines on how all these combinations are going to flow. Because we just can't have 9,000 people running 100 miles an hour doing whatever they want. That's why he says here, he set some in the church, and what did he do? He ordered them. First, where does it start? The apostle, the apostolic authority. That's the first place of flow. It flows from that spot down. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. You see, he's setting some order here on the, the way the chain of command has to work in these giftings. And then he goes on. So these are ministry gifts. Apostle, prophet, teacher. These are gifts from uh, Ephesians here, right? But then he kicks into... The same spirit gift, miracles and gifts of healings. And I, I hear your point from last week, Lee, but I really think what Paul's doing here is he's not setting up a, a tenfold, in my opinion. I mean, this is just I'm just putting this out there. You can do with it what you want. I think he's combining all the different gifts and showing the flow of how all these things function together. Because we have here miracles and gifts of healings, which we know is a um, from the, from Corinthians. These are from Ephesians, and then we have helps and governments, which come from Romans. All right, and then we've got back over here again. We're going into a, di a different type of tongue, which is the, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians twelve. So it's my conviction that what Paul's doing here is he's trying to say, look. We've got all these gifts. There's many different ways that we're going to flow together as a body. The main thing that keeps happening over and over and over in this chapter is, is remember, you are a member of one body. You have to remember who you are. You are a part of this body. 
Every, we've got all these different giftings working. We have to e embrace each other. The eye can't do it on its own. The eye is, we, you know, we all can't look like a bunch of cyclops walking around here. You know, we need different parts. We have to accept the different individuals. And when we got all of these different combinations flowing together, how, what is the order? Well, Paul told us. And he began to give us a, a, a kind of an order here. And I don't think it was a complete work here. I think Paul was just trying to say, if we go to the text here at the very bottom of that chapter um, of 28, um, or chapter 4, and uh, of Corinthians, I'm in Ephesians. Go back over to Corinthians chapter 12. Corinthians 12, and we're finished on this verse here. <coughs> Excuse me. Corinthians 12, he says now, in verse 28, we've read that. Now look at what verse 29 says of chapter 12. Right after he said, we've got this order here. He said, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues. Do all interpret. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I will show you unto you a more excellent way. And then like an introduction drum roll, he begins to go into the great, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Corinthians 13, which is known as the agape chapter. The love chapter. The best way. Yeah, if you got some confusion... Here's the best way. The apostles in charge, okay? Whoever's your apostolic authority, they're in charge. Submit to them. Let things start to flow through that. That's my instruction. But let me show you a better way. Love is the best way. Because love doesn't prefer self. Love prefers the other. Love doesn't say... Man, I didn't get a chance to give my word today in church. Right. Or love doesn't say, man, why didn't I get a lead on that song? Or, man, how come they didn't, you know, ask me to do the cooking Wednesday? A lot of people are probably not thinking that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> you see what I mean? What does love do? Love doesn't look after itself. Love looks for the other one. Love says... Man, I'm sure glad they did that. They sounded great, man. That was a good, that was a good song today. You know? They, they always look for the best. And they, and they love it when people are shining and coming forth. Amen? So we have order. There's no doubt about it. But even before our order, the reason why this order gets jacked up in church and why we have church splits and people get offended and they leave church because they didn't maybe like way something was being ordered or organized well the, the main thing is, is they needed to carry on in chapter 13 both parties let love if you let love give love a chance and it'll have its perfect work